Psalm 119 from verse 89. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You established the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day for all things serve you. If if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path, so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. And we'll continue at verse 129. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men, that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Righteous are you, O Lord, and your laws are right. The statutes you have laid down are righteous. They are fully trustworthy. My zeal wears me out, for my enemies ignore your words. Your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is everlasting, and your law is true. Trouble and distress have come upon me, but your commands are my delight. Your statutes are forever right. Give me understanding that I may live. Thanks, Carl. There's a uh, handout as well this morning with a whole lot of Bible verses on it. So uh, I don't know, did most people get one of those? Was there any left over? Are they on the back table? They're on the back table if you didn't get one. So you can jump up and grab one of those now if you want while I talk about this book. Um, There's another book uh, on the red trolley at the moment uh, called Why I Trust the Bible? Answers to 10 Tough Questions. Uh, This is a really helpful uh, little book. Uh, written by a lady called Amy Orr Ewing. I remember reading this book uh, when I was at college and uh, I suddenly wondered whether I could really trust the Bible uh, and I wondered how I could know that the Bible was really true and that uh, you know, Christianity was right and it wasn't uh, Islam or, uh, or Hinduism that was right. And I remember this book was on the book table at college just as I was asking those questions and uh, I found a very helpful book so hopefully you might find it a very helpful book as well. So that will be on the trolley after. Clearly it's not there at the moment because it's on the floor. But uh, 
There you go. Let me pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your words to us. Lord, thank you that you have spoken uh, and Father, we ask that as we look at your word now that you would help us to receive those words, that you would give us confidence by your Holy Spirit that your words are true uh, and that we would uh, see that clearly and that we would trust in you uh, and trust in you more and more every day. Father, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, uh, today is our fourth week uh, of looking at what the Bible says about the Bible and uh, we've seen that uh, the Bible is God's words written for his people uh, by his spirit about his son. We've seen that, the Bible, that in the Bible God speaks to us and that we need to listen. Uh, we've seen that the Bible is clear and that the Holy Spirit makes the Bible make sense to us. But now uh, this morning we're asking another very important question which is, is the Bible reliable? Uh, Can we trust the Bible? Can we trust what the Bible says about Jesus? That the Jesus that we meet in the pages of the Bible is the Jesus who really existed? Can we know that? Can we trust what the Bible says about the world and about us? What good is it, you see, if the Bible uh, is clear and we listen to the Bible if the Bible isn't reliable. Well, there's lots of things to say in answer to uh, that question about the reliability of the Bible and uh, really this morning we can only scratch the surface uh, but I, I want to just maybe lay the groundwork and then in a few weeks' time at the, uh, the training night uh, at the beginning of Term 4, on Tuesday night uh, will answer some more of the questions that people might have about the reliability uh, of the Bible. But uh, the thing that I really want to say first of all this morning is, in answer to the question, is the Bible reliable? Yes, the Bible is reliable because we find the Bible to speak truthfully. Is the Bible reliable? Yes, the Bible is reliable because we find it to speak truthfully. Many of the New Testament writers claim to be writing historical accounts about Jesus, about what actually happened. They're not uh, just accounts of what kind of uh, spirituality worked for them. It's not accounts of uh, what they discovered when they were sitting out in the field and thinking to themselves about uh, what life is all about. Uh, They're historical accounts and they're sworn witness statements of events that they claim really happened. So, for instance, Luke begins his Gospel. You've got those words there on that sheet. Luke writes, Many of us, uh, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have, uh, have been taught. So Luke's saying, lots of other people have drawn up accounts. We had those in uh, Matthew and Mark uh, and John's Gospel as well. And, and Luke's saying, but I investigated it myself and I talked to eyewitnesses and I, and, I, and I tried to make sure that what happened was really true. And I've written it down, Theophilus, so that you can know that it's true as well. As you read uh, through Luke's account, you pick up on some of those 
little glimmers of him in, uh, interviewing particular people uh, and, and searching out his sources. So you get this repeated phrase of, and Mary treasured those things up in her heart. As if Luke has spoken to Mary about what it was like to bring Jesus up. What do you remember, Mary, from those times? Well, I remember this happened and I treasured it up into my heart because it was so important to me. The Apostle John says at the beginning of his first letter, you have these words as well, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John is making the claim that he is testifying like a witness testifies in a court of law, testifying that these events really happened. We saw it, we heard it, we touched it, we tasted it. At the crucifixion in John's Gospel, uh, John writes, uh, one, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may also believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. The man who saw it uh, is the phrase that John uses to refer to himself, he saw it, he knows that it's true and now he wants to tell other people that it's true so that they might believe the truth about Jesus as well. And importantly, it's not just John's testimony, it's not just that John saw it and he swore that it happened, but that's what the Old Testament said would happen as well. We have multiple witnesses in that sense. Uh, at the end of John's Gospel, uh, you also find a very interesting number of uh, verse. Uh, which you have written down there as well, John 21, 24, where John writes, uh, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. It seems that the Gospel of John was, if you like, signed off by some other people as well. So John wrote the Gospel, he swears that his testimony is true and then some other people from the early church have, uh, have chimed in and said, we know that this is John's testimony and we know that John's testimony is true and we want you to know that it's true as well. Well, listen to these words uh, from 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve after that he appeared to more than 5,000 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Paul is making the claim that uh, about the historical veracity uh, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he's inviting the people of his day to test that and to test that claim against uh, the hundreds of witnesses who could be asked. There's 500 witnesses, he says. Go and ask them whether it's true or not. Lots of people don't trust the Bible because it's somebody else's word about what happened. 
It's somebody else's testimony. It's actually the testimony of lots of different people about what happened. People want a personal revelation or a personal word from God, something more direct. But we trust other people's accounts of things every day. We have to do that in order to live. We have to trust what other people say in order to get by in life. We rely on history books to know about what happened in the Holocaust, to know about what happened on D-Day, to know about what happened with the arrival of the First Fleet, to know what happened on the moon landing. We rely on newspapers and on the internet every day to know what's happening in other parts of the world, to know what's happening in our own country, to know what's happening in our own state, to know what's happening in our own town. We rely on what our friends tell us about how their day went. How did your day go? I crashed my car. I don't think you crashed your car. I think you're lying to me. How do we know? The only way that we can know is by relying on the testimony of the people around us. We don't trust everything that we hear. We'd be idiots to trust everything that we hear. But we do trust the accounts of some people. Well, how do we determine who to trust and who not to trust? I think the answer to that question is that we try and work out who is trustworthy and who isn't. You try to determine whether that person tells the truth, whether they're reliable. Well, William Ramsey was a Bible scholar uh, in the last century and he was deeply sceptical about the reliability, the historical reliability of Luke's um, writings, so the Gospel of Luke and, and Acts. But he was eventually won over uh, to the idea that Luke was actually an incredible historian. Uh, he was won over by Luke's incredible detail, uh, geographically and politically and historically. So uh, William Ramsey had thought that Luke had got some of the details wrong in an attempt to make, to kind of fake authenticity. A lot of the people around that time, they thought that Luke uh, had written actually at the end of the second century, so 150 years after Jesus, and actually it was made up by the early church. Uh, and what William Ramsey thought basically was that, um, that Luke had kind of put in these historical details to kind of make it seem more plausible. Uh, but he'd actually got it wrong, you know, and he shot himself in the foot. But William Ramsey discovered as he began to look more closely at the uh, writing of Luke and the historical evidence, he began to see actually Luke was on the money and that the scholars of his day had actually uh, misunderstood. They, they, they hadn't looked at early enough evidence to see that, uh, that Luke had got it right. William Ramsey discovered that Luke was a reliable witness uh, Adolf Harnack uh, is a Bible scholar. Anyone, just generally speaking, anyone with a German name, is a terrible, <laughs> terrible generalisation, anyone with a German name never says anything good about the Bible. But, uh, and Adolf Harnack was one of those people, uh, not known for his uh, belief that the Bible is true. But this is what he wrote about Luke. The geographical and chronological references and notices in the book show the circumspection, the care the consistency and the trustworthiness of the writer. Isn't that interesting? It shows the care, the consistency and the trustworthiness of the writer. Well, if you want to know more about uh, the historical reliability 
of the Bible, a good book to read or a video to watch is The Christ Files by John Dixon. I think some of the growth groups have already watched it. It's normally in the library. It's not there at the moment. I'm guessing one of the growth groups has it. But, uh, but that's a really helpful book. John Dixon is a historian and he helps you to see some of the evidence outside the Bible and inside the Bible for the historical reliability of the Bible. The thing to take away though, the point is, that the Bible shows itself to be truthful. And when we see something is true generally, we begin to trust it in all kinds of things, just like we do with people. Uh, Of course, you might say that what if the Bible writers tried really hard uh, to get all the historical facts right uh, and then only kind of made up the miraculous bits? That's kind of what uh, that guy William Ramsey had thought. What if they... They, they, they were just really good at fooling people. So they worked hard on all the historical bits, the political bits and made up the rest. Well, the truth is that doesn't work because the moment you try to corrupt anything, the moment you try to invent anything, that begins to affect and to influence everything else as well. You see that all the time in murder mysteries, don't you? you know, somebody, or, you know, or, or movies about whatever, you know, someone tells a lie. And it never ends up just being one lie, does it? It always ends up infecting every part of their life and it always becomes this, this massive conglomerate. Boom, uh, sorry, Walter Scott, I think it was, wrote in a poem, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. When we begin to lie, our lives become this tangled web which influences all the truth around us. It's not possible to just kind of be right on some things and invent others because at the end of the day the lie will be found out. That happened with uh, Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code. You know, he kind of tried to rewrite, I mean he was writing a fictional book but at the same time he was kind of sort of trying to rewrite history. It was a very strange thing. But you could tell because he used some historical facts, he used historical facts from here and there, but at the end of the day there were inconsistencies and inaccuracies. He was found out in his revision of history. Is the Bible reliable? Yes, the Bible is reliable because it shows itself to be truthful. Well, there's a number of common objections to the reliability and the truthfulness of the Bible and it might be worth saying a little bit about a few of them uh, this morning. Uh, sometimes people say that the Bible does make mistakes. Uh, when it quotes the Old Testament, it doesn't quote word for word. Uh, it talks about the four corners of the earth. Is the Bible saying that uh, the earth is flat and that it's not a globe? Uh, the four Gospels put the events of Jesus' life in a different order. Are they historically unreliable because of that? The uh, key point, I think, to realise is that all those questions arise, they all come up because we have wrong expectations of what it means for something to be reliable. We confuse reliability, trustworthiness, with infinite precision. So approximation or limited detail doesn't make something untrue, right? So if I have a book, I have a book, and you say... Carl, how, how many pages in that book? And I say, 400 pages. And you go away and you read the book and you get to page 401 and 402 and you go, what a vicious liar. How dare he say that? 
How dare he tell me it was 400 pages when actually it was 402. We don't think like that because we understand human language. We understand that we're not always trying to be absolutely precise about everything. And so it is in many cases with things in the Bible. Uh, The Bible writers are not trying to say everything that can be said but they're trying to say what they're trying to say and saying it truthfully and honestly. Uh, An example of that is a perceived uh, inconsistency between the Gospels of Mark and Luke and Matthew. Uh, In Mark and Luke, when Jesus comes uh, near Jericho, uh, he heals a blind man. They record Jesus healing a blind man. In Matthew, he records Jesus healing two blind men. Did Jesus heal one or did he heal two? Well, it's a bit like if I go into town and I... I meet Bob and Joe and then later on you ask me how my day went and I say, well, I met uh, Bob and Joe in town. It was great. We had this, this wonderful conversation. Uh, it was fantastic. And then I go off and talk to somebody else and they say, how was your day? Great. Uh, I met Bob in town. We were talking about all kinds of interesting things like the weather. It was great. <laughs> but it's not a lie to say I met Bob in town. It would be a lie if I said, oh, I, I certainly didn't meet Joe. I never saw him. We never talked. But to leave Joe out of the story is not to be deceitful. It's just it wasn't important to what I was trying to tell you. And so it is with the Bible writers. They don't always tell us everything that there is to be known. Some, some of them tell us one thing. Some of us tell us that and something else. We have to understand the Bible on the terms at which it was written. The Bible writers aren't trying to say everything They're not trying to say everything with infinite precision. They're just trying to tell us about Jesus and tell us about Jesus truthfully. The same goes with putting events in different order. Uh, Some people freak out about that, that the different Gospel writers put events in Jesus' life in different orders. But the Gospel writers aren't trying to give us a chronology of Jesus' life. They're trying to tell us about Jesus. Whenever anybody writes history, they have to order the events of time into a book. Lots of people order history thematically. They put them into different things, into chapters. They skip around and jump around everywhere so that they can make their point more clearly. And so it is with the Bible writers as well. They're trying to tell us about Jesus. They're not trying to give us a timeline of his life. We need to understand the Bible on its own terms. When the Bible talks about four corners of the earth, What's it doing? It's using poetry. It's using poetic language. It uses the same language to refer to the land of Israel, which didn't have four corners. It's just talking about the extent of the land of Israel. We have to understand the Bible and the terms on which it was written. And when we do that, we consistently see that the Bible is trustworthy and reliable and true. So the Bible is reliable Most importantly, in some ways, because we find it to speak truthfully. But second, the Bible is uh, not only reliable in the... That was the longest point by a long way, by the way, so don't panic. Uh, So the Bible is reliable because it speaks truthfully. But but second, the Bible is not only reliable in the historical sense, but it's also reliable in the sense that we can rely on it. Now that sounds like a terrible truism. But what I mean is this. 
It's good and it's perfect and it's right and it's true. The Bible is reliable in practice, if you like. It's reliable in the experimental sense. That is, when we put God's words to the test, when we experiment with God's words by putting it to the test, we find the experiment works. We find it tests out to be true. Psalm 19, which Ed read for us before, is is a psalm written by someone who's put God's words to the test, who's relied on God's words. And what did he find out? He he found out that God's words are eternal, that God's words endure forever. He found out that for him, God's words are his delight. They preserved his life. They have this boundless perfection. They are sweet. They're a lamp to his feet. They show him the best way to live. They're a joy to his heart. They're wonderful. They give understanding to the simple. They're trustworthy. God's promises, he finds, have been thoroughly tested and proved to be true. Or think about the second half of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the law are sure and altogether righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Psalm 119 and Psalm 19 are psalms, they're poems, they're songs written by people who put God's words to the test and found them to be reliable, more than reliable, wonderful and good and delightful. Is the Bible reliable? Yes. The Bible is trustworthy and right and radiant and pure and altogether righteous. God's words in the Bible are reliable like no other words in our life are reliable. I love, uh, I love my parents. I love my parents for many reasons but one of the reasons I love my parents is because they give great advice. My poor mother and father are always ringing them up and asking what to do. Sometimes it's just about cooking. Sometimes it's about really important things. But... They give great advice. They're wise and I'm so thankful to God for that. But sometimes they get it wrong. Sometimes the people that we love, the people that we ask for help, give us great advice, don't they? Sometimes they give us bad advice. You might have friends that you always ask for advice. That's a good thing to do. I love that, that proverb, uh, that talks, you know, the, in the abundance of counsellors, the city is safe. <laughs> An abundance of counsellors is good, but even close friends, even good counsellors, get it wrong. But God's words in the Bible aren't like that. What God says, he does. What God says is true. It's never wrong. What God says is pure. It's never distorted by our own motivations and selfishnesses and prides and all the other things that get in the way of our words and our advice, God's words are never like that. What God says will build you up. Sometimes my compliments seem to tear people down, even when I'm trying the hardest. What God says is more precious than gold, than much pure gold. God's words are reliable in a way that no other words are reliable. Is the Bible reliable? Yes, the Bible is reliable 
And we know it's reliable because it speaks truthfully. Yes, the Bible is reliable because it shows itself to be reliable and pure and true and right and good. But lastly, at the most basic level, the Bible is reliable because in it God speaks. We saw back in the very first week of our series on what the Bible says about the Bible, we saw that God speaks to us in the Bible and that even though the Bible was written down by human beings like you and me, that the Holy Spirit ensured that those words were true and right and exactly what God wanted to say. Why is the Bible fundamentally reliable? The Bible is fundamentally reliable because God speaks in it and God can't lie. Look at what Paul writes in Titus chapter 1. He writes about the gospel as a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Or the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6. Men swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. God's words are an anchor for our soul. They're the only sure thing in our whole lives. They're the only sure thing, not only because God can't lie, but because in addition to that, because God is so kind, he's sworn an oath so that we would be doubly sure that what he has said, he will do. Can you trust the Bible? Yes, you can trust the Bible because you can trust God. And the ultimate proof that we can trust God is in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus shows that God will do whatever it takes to keep his word. What will it take for God to bless the world which has fallen into sin? That's what he said to Abraham. He said to Abraham all those years ago, through you I will bless the whole world. What did it take for God to keep that word? It took God sending his own son to die in our place so that we might be forgiven and be made whole again. The cross and the resurrection shows us the love of God, the extent of God's love. It shows us the wisdom of God, that God's wisdom is greater than our wisdom. It shows the patience of God, that God's patience is greater than our patience. It shows the cost which God is willing to pay in order to keep his promises to us. Can we trust the Bible? Yes, we can trust the Bible because we can trust God. It's not always easy to trust God, but when we find it hard to trust God, we need to remind ourselves of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is the Bible reliable? Yes, the Bible is reliable because we find it to speak truthfully. The Bible is reliable because 
We can rely on it. It's pure and right and good and true. Yes, the Bible is reliable because in it God speaks and God never lies. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much that uh, you have spoken to us in the Bible and Lord, thank you that we can rely on those words to truly reveal you to us. Lord, uh, we confess that we don't always find it easy to rely uh, on you or to rely on your words that you have uh, caused to be written down for us. Lord, often we doubt. Often we think of all the exceptions and all the what-ifs. Lord, help us to trust you and to take you at your word. Lord, uh, we pray that you would help us not only to believe in the reliability of the Bible ourselves, but Lord, we ask that you would help us to show the reliability of the Bible uh, to those around us who don't know you. Help us to show that the Bible is reliable to reveal your son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sin and uh, was risen raised to life for our justification. Father, we uh, thank you for all these uh, blessings that you've given to us uh, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.